97th Psalm. And this will well indicate when the Lord comes in glory, He will certainly reign. As the first verse says, The Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of the isles of isles be glad thereof. We are finding here a description of Christ's coming in verses 1 through 3. And as a king with absolute power, He will come and reign. And Jesus has all power because He said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And he gave us, the commission, gave us the commission as a result. Notice it says in this first verse, The Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. The earth will rejoice when God reigns. The earth is sad many times when wicked kings and, and leaders that are without guidance or without wisdom are in control. And there's a lot of heartaches and sorrows. And we find it says, Let the multitude of the isles be glad thereof. So nations round about, the isles or the, the places round about will be glad when Jesus reigns. And all nature will rejoice. Look at verse 2. It says, Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. Clouds and darkness are round about him. His full glory is not known because it's concealed. And it will be known at some day in the future. And the Bible says that there will be a time in the book of Isaiah when the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And God will be fully and completely known. He will make every man to know Him. But in this second verse, there are some many important things I want you to notice. It says, Clouds and darkness are round about Him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of His throne. This is where He dwells. The foundation of his throne is righteousness and judgment and the habitation. This is his abiding place. And it says, A fire goeth before him and burneth up his enemies round about. A fire goes before him. He is like a refiner's fire. In Malachi 3, verses 2 and 3. And a fire went before him in Sinai when he gave the law. A fire goes before him and clears the way. A fire burns up all the enemies round about. It says, His lightnings enlighteneth the world. The world is enlightened. The earth saw and trembled. When we think in nature, how nature is lighted up by God's uh, presence and He enlightens the world. He uses His lightnings to enlighten the world. But He also enlightens His uh, people. What about in... Uh, the glories of God Himself that enlighten us. And then it says, The hills, the hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord, the whole earth, of, of the whole earth. The hills or the nations are spoken of. You know, the Bible speaks of God's kingdom is like the mountain of, of the Lord's house shall be uh, exalted above all the, the mountains and all the hills in the book of Isaiah. And so sometimes mountains indicate uh, great nations and the hills would be the smaller ones. And they will be brought under subjection to the Lord and they will melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. And they melted like wax at the presence of the Lord. And it says, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. Because He's not only the Lord of, of uh, some nations, but He's the Lord of all nations. And look at verse 6. The heavens declare His righteousness, and all the people see His glory. We find His glory is manifested universally. All the people shall see His glory. 
And the heavens declare his righteousness. Righteousness is used of God many times because God is righteous, God is holy, God is just, and this this shows his uh, character. And someday his glory will be manifested universally. And everyone will know of his glory. But look at the next verse. Confounded be all they that serve graven images that boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all ye gods. He's going to put all the idolaters to shame. Shame shall cover their faces. And God's people will rejoice. Beginning with verse 8 and 9. Zion heard and was glad. God's people rejoice at the destruction of idols. Zion was glad. Zion heard and was glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoiced because of thy judgments, O Lord. We're, we're exhorted to rejoice when idols are taken under control by the Lord or destroyed by the Lord. And verse 10 teaches us we're to hate evil. Well, did we read verse 9? We didn't read. For thou, let's read verse 9. For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted above, far above all gods. So God is above all the gods of the idol nations and all the idols of, of uh, man. In verse 10, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Three things here about God's people. We are exhorted to hate evil. It says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. The Bible says that, uh, speaking of Job, is one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And the Bible tells us to shun the very appearance of evil. You and I need to have a consciousness of what is sin and what is evil, what is wrong. And the Holy Spirit gives us conviction. By the way, in this day and hour of television, you need to have great control over that knob because there's so much of it you see on the television. I mean, I'll be looking at a program and all of a sudden I'll think it's a pretty good storyline and all of a sudden it's just corrupt. I have to switch the channel and find something else. Usually turn to the news. And even though a lot of that's bad, at least it's real. It's not made up. If you hear of someone uh, robbing or uh, something that is of a terrible nature, you know at least it's telling about something that happened, not something made up to try to corrupt people's minds. But... Uh, you're informed as to how evil the world really is by some of it. So it says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Jesus, uh, the Bible says of Jesus, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Hebrews chapter 1, speaking of Jesus, God the Father said unto the Son, Thy throne, listen, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of Thy kingdom says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. That's Christ. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness. That's typical of the Holy Spirit or symbolical of the Holy Spirit. Above thy fellows. And then he goes on to speak of Christ and says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish and thou remainest. They all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Christ loved righteousness, and he hated iniquity. And that's what God the Father said concerning his Son. And we're told to love the Lord. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. 
Look at the center of that 10th verse. He preserveth the souls of his saints. We are reminded of our security. We're not only saved, but we're safe. He keeps us safe in his hands. You know, I believe that God not only saves us, but he keeps us. And he says, he preserveth the souls of his saints. He keeps them. He takes care of them. He's not going to let them go. He's going to keep them from now on. That's security and safety. You ever seen folks say, well, you know, the Lord saved me, but I'm just so doubtful about my eternal security. I don't know if I'll make it. Well, you didn't. You, you were not saved on your own. Well, certainly you can't be kept on your own. If you couldn't save yourself, you, you can't keep yourself. Like Peter, you know, when he was drowning, going down in the water, he turned to the Lord and said, Lord, save me. Well, Jesus saved him right then, but he kept him out of the water too. He didn't let him go back and drown after all. And he does a good job of saving and he does a good job of keeping. The Bible says that you're kept by the power of God through faith in the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's God, God's power that preserves us. You know, when we used to have our mothers and grandmothers and some of the mothers now do a lot of canning, not too many, but some of them do, and they put those old preserves in the jar and they seal them up and keep them next year you need them anytime well even that's preserving but with man you can always find faults but when God preserves something it, it'll keep from now on we may finally lose some of that but God will keep us because he has a perfect seal upon us he says you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God those old seals that we seal with we may put a wax seal or or the uh, jar seal on there, and it may last a long time, but it might accidentally, some way or another, be faulty, and, and you lose your preserves or your canned goods, whatever it is. But God's is not faulty. He says, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to save you, and I'm going to preserve you, and I'm going to seal you with the Holy Spirit of God, and nothing can ever happen to that. There's nothing faulty about God's Spirit. He's the third person of the Godhead. And you're sealed with with the Holy Spirit under the day of redemption. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. Look, he delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. God's people are to hate evil. God's people are reminded of their security. And we are promised deliverance. We are promised the victory. In Psalm 37, let me read this one for you. Psalm 37, verse 39 says this, But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in Him. Why is it God saves you and delivers you? Because you trust Him. He's the one you trust in Him for your salvation. You know, if we trust in ourselves, we cannot save. If we trust in other men, they cannot save us. But if we trust in the Lord, He's guaranteed our deliverance. And then our path is sowed in light. Look at this. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Our path is sown with light. Don't you hate to walk out in the dark and not know where you're going? Well, God says our path is sown in light. He shines the light. If I go out in the yard, I like to 
turn on the light or take a light and shine it to see where I'm going at night. I, I hate to go in the darkness. When I was a little boy, I used to live right up on 2nd Street above the circle there, right on top of the hill. And in those days, we had no street lights. Very few people had lights in their houses. So this town was dark. It wasn't light now at all. And I'd come in from work or something or uh, come in uh, after dark from somewhere after setting pins down the bowling alley like this, you know, with your hands. You didn't set them with a machine. You set them on the spots there. And I started setting pins when I was probably about eight or nine years old. And I uh, got a cent and a half a line, a frame. So if you had four people paying, you made six cents. Really doing good. And if by the middle of the night, if you start early in the morning by midnight, you might have even 40, 50 cents made. You know, if you could get a few customers on your aisle, good money. But anyway, I'd come in after night. And always going, you know where the circle is there, and that... Uh, Brandon Iron Cafe that Brother Randy is talking about. It's changed names again. Going up that hill. Boy, I'd go between those cabins, and I'm telling you, it was a little wild and woolly in those days. You could hear the uh, things uh, screaking and all the, the mountain lions and the bears and all the stuff, and your imagination would run wild. And there was more out there in the dark than you ever imagined. I'm sure there wasn't quite as many as I thought there was, but there's a lot of things out there. Scary. But I like the light. I like to have plenty of light. And it says, light is sown for the righteous. The Bible says, the path of the just is as a shining light. It shineth more and more into the perfect day. Walk in the light as he is in the light, and we'll have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and he that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. This life has light, and it guides us in, our, in the right pathway. Look at this next statement here. It says in the last part of verse 11, 11 and gladness for the upright in heart. Gladness is our portion. God makes his people to rejoice and to be glad. Look at verse 12. There are two things here. Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. We should rejoice in the Lord. Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And he says, again, I say rejoice. We're told to be happy. We're told to rejoice. We're told to be thankful. And look at the last statement. And give thanks. You know, we preached on Thanksgiving this morning. But if you read the Psalms, you'll find time and time again, it'll say, give thanks, or with thanksgiving. Look here. Again, you have it in this 97. It says, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. We should give thanks at the very thought of God's holiness. What if we had to serve a cruel and unholy God? What if you were made to bow down and to serve a tyrant? But you're not. It says, give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. Certainly we, thank, we ought to thank God because we serve a, a God that is holy and a God that is not uh, going to uh, be on us and condemn us about everything. An unholy gospel is no gospel. 
the, go- the gospel of Jesus Christ has power to deliver us from our sins. Jesus will fill the world with holiness someday. And we already quoted the scripture that says that the not, uh, knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And when he does fill the, Lord, uh, the world with holiness, he will fill the hearts with happiness because of his holiness. Look at Psalm 98. This is a psalm of praise. It says, O sing unto the Lord a new song. By the way, we had that earlier, didn't we? In, verse, in, in Psalm 96, it says, Sing unto the Lord a new song. And in this 98, O sing unto the Lord a new song. For he hath done marvelous things. We need to sing a new song and praise him for the marvelous things he's done. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. There's two wonderful things here. First of all, the marvelous things that God has done. What are the, some of the marvelous things? Look at the marvel of His creation. Look at the marvel of all of God's great creation. Look at the marvel of restoration. How He restored an earth that was in chaos. Look at the marvel of His revelation. He has revealed Himself to us in His Word. This is God's revelation to man. We talk about the book of Revelation. That's the revelation of the second coming of Christ and things related. But we talk about the Bible. This is His revelation. He's revealed Himself to us through His Word. And then He's revealed Himself to us not only in the written Word, but through His Son, who is His image. And He came to tell Him out to us and to reveal the Father. Remember, Philip says, uh, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus said, Philip, have I been so long time with you, and you have not known me? He says, He that has seen me has seen the Father. I came to reveal the Father. And if you want to know what the Father's like, you find out what Jesus is like. And He'll reveal the Father to you. Oh, sing a new song unto the Lord. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for He hath done marvelous things. What about his marvel of redemption? There's no one that could have wrought or thought even a plan of redemption as God has wrought and thought in Christ. Can you imagine what, what man's salvation would be if man had tried to, to fix it? He'd had you crawling on your knees from here around the world two or three times. He'd had you try to figure out how you could inflict wounds upon yourself and suffer affliction, and maybe uh, obtain some mercy from a holy God. Man would have tried to say, well, if you can just work your way to heaven, you'll be all right. In fact, some of them do that, don't they? Some of the false religions have a religion of works, and a religion of penance, and a religion of inflictions. Even the heathen nations and heathen people all over the world... Many of them inflict themselves knowing that it takes suffering to bring salvation, but they didn't realize that God says, I'm going to send you the answer to all of this. There'll be suffering all right, but I'm going to be the one that suffers. And I'm going to provide the sufferer. And he's going to be of myself. He's my only begotten son. And he's Christ, God manifest in the flesh. And his perfect plan of redemption was wrought in eternal in the eternities of, uh, in time past and was manifested in these last times for you who by him to believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. So think of the 
glory and the marvelous things of His creation, restoration, revelation, redemption. And look at the last part of this verse too. It says, Psalm 98 verse 1 again. It says, uh, And uh, His right hand and His holy arm hath gotten Him the victory. We need to praise Him for His victory through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the right hand of the Father. Notice it's by His right hand that the victory is gotten. It's through Christ that the victory for us has come. He's made. He said He's seated on the right hand of God. The victory is not through the aid of others. It's not through our own power. But it's by His right hand. Notice, put His right hand in quote, quotation. His right hand and His holy arm hath gotten Him the victory. Look at verse 2. It says, The Lord hath made known His salvation. His righteousness hath He openly showed in the sight of the heathen. We need to praise Him and thank Him and sing the new song because of what? Because He has displayed His salvation. He has shown His salvation. Look, He has made known His salvation. Isn't that what the apostles did? Isn't that what Paul did? He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Made known. He says, I'm debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. And so when we realize that, that God has made known His salvation and we're to make it known, we're to make it known to men and women and boys and girls. We're to give it out in gospel truth. And then, notice the last part. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. His testimony has gone out even in the sight of the very ungodly and heathen world. And then I want you to notice verse 3. It says, He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel... And then it says, All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. We need to praise Him because of His mercy toward His own, toward His own, His nation, His people, Israel. If you remember, the Bible says it's to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. It says in Luke 1, verse 51, He hath opened His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. But it's not to the Jews only, for look at this verse. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. You have both Jews and Gentiles spoken of in this verse. He remembered His mercy and His truth toward the house of Israel, and then it says, All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. <coughs> Verses 4 through 6 show us how to praise God. It says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Universal praise. And it's with a joyful noise. In all the ends of the earth, every tongue should applaud and give thanks with strength and with joy of heart. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Some can sing and others can make a loud noise. Some make a joyful noise. But whatever we do, we're to do it in praise to God. And then in verse 5, Sing unto the Lord with the harp. We can use Him. We can use musical instruments to praise Him. Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the voice of the voice of a psalm. And then in verse uh, six, with trumpets and sound of cornet, make a joyful noise before uh, the Lord, the King.
Verse 7, Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof the world, and they that dwell therein. Everything is to praise God. Even inanimate things have a place in the orchestra of nature. The sea, the floods, the hills. Look at that. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. Let the floods clap their hands. The floods, the waters from every uh, place that they flow, clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together. All of nature is seen forming an orchestra of praise to God. And we can praise Him because He is the judge of all the earth. Before the Lord, uh, let them be joyful together before the Lord. For, look, for He cometh to judge the earth. With righteousness shall He judge the world and the people with equity. We can praise Him because He will come to judge the earth with righteousness. We need someone that will judge the earth with righteousness, don't we? Because men today do not judge the earth and the world and even our own nation with righteousness. I'm reminded of all the, the gridlock that they have up in Washington now. And you know what's really mostly in the way of those folks up there is their ego. <laughs> that's, that's really the big problem. No one wants to say that the other person has a half a part of it right and they've got a part of it right and say, let's get together and try to solve this problem. One guy says, I'm going to stick by my guns if the whole nation suffers. The other guy says, I'm going to do the same thing and the whole nation suffers. So just get it out of the way. Start working on the problem instead of having so much politics in the picture. But you know, that's what happens when man wants to try to solve things. He just can't understand that he needs to uh, do it for the good of the people instead of his own glory and his own ego and his own uh, uh, pride. And when pride comes in, there's contention. By the way, let me give you a scripture and you take this to heart. The Bible says, listen, only by pride cometh contention. Doesn't say it comes any other way. Only. So you know when you see contention, there's got to be pride somewhere behind the whole thing. Because it doesn't say by pride is one way that cometh contention. But it says only by pride cometh contention. So you know when there's big problem and there's contention, that somewhere there's pride lurking behind the scene. You can put that one down. And that's what in the Proverbs. I can look it up for you. But you'll find it. Let's notice something else here. <clears throat> in Psalm, where were we? Psalm 98, and the last verse. Before the Lord, for He cometh to judge the earth with righteousness, shall He judge the world and the people with equity. That'll be a day in the future one. Look in uh, Psalm 99. Praise to a holy God. The Lord reigneth. Find that again. Let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. The reign of a holy God. And he's going to reign in goodness and justice. The Lord is great in Zion, and he, has, he is high above all the people. Let, let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. So we're talking about praise of a holy God. In the 93rd Psalm, there is strength 
his strength is prominent. In the 97th Psalm, his judgment is prominent. In the 99th Psalm, his holiness is prominent. His holiness and greatness should produce a holy awe in us. We should stand in awe at his presence. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. All the world is guilty before God. And we should realize that he is a holy God. Look at verse 4 and 5. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest a judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Our God is just as well as he's holy. It says, Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. goes on again. He does not condone sin. Sin will be judged and punished. The Bible says he will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Look at his priests that he speaks of and his intercessors. In verse 6, Moses and Aaron among his priests, and Samuel among them that call upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. Who are these men of God that interceded? The Lord has priests that interceded for his people. Moses, though he was not ordained as such, yet interceded for Israel. And Aaron interceded, and Samuel interceded. And they were in the priestly function. And as I say, though Aaron was the, of the priestly family, yet Moses, remember when the children of Israel had sinned and Moses came down off of the mountain and Moses made, Moses made intercession for them? God would have destroyed them had not it been, as the Bible says, Moses, my chosen, my servant, stood in the gap. When God's people sin, there has to be someone standing in the gap. And you know who that is today? is Jesus. The Bible says that we have a, one mediator between God and men. We have one great intercessor, Jesus Christ. He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit He has given us here to also make intercession for us when we pray because we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself maketh intercession for us. So we have intercessors. You know, Job of old, he prayed and desired a man, a mediator, one that could go between. He says, God, give me someone that can go between, a daysman, a mediator, that can put his hand upon us both and bring us together, on God and man. Who do we have now? We have Jesus, don't we? Because God is holy and righteous, and man is sinful, and Jesus bridged the gap. And he says, God can be righteous and holy because I paid the penalty that man's sins deserve, and therefore they can be brought together. And Jesus is that one that has brought us together. And it's through his death and sufferings on the cross of Calvary and through his intercessory work on high that he brings us both together. And then we should exalt. By the way, look at how these uh, uh, he spake to these priests and these intercessors. In verse 7, he spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. Israel didn't, but the Moses and Aaron. and Well, Aaron failed at one time, and Moses corrected him, and he turned back to God and began to function properly. And Samuel, of course, he spoke to Samuel, but he spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. 
referring basically to Israel and to Moses in that time when he was leading Israel. The cloudy pillar, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. The Bible says he spoke to them through that cloud. He protected them through that cloud. He uh, guided them by that cloud. It was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to protect them by day and by night. And so that the, the Bible says, The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. God says, I'm going to take care of you day and night. And he said, when, that, when the Egyptians were upon their heels and would have uh, overtaken them, what did God say? He caused that pillar of fire and pillar of cloud to, that went before them to lead them, which was the way they were leaded and guided, to reverse and go behind them and come in between them and the enemy. See, God not only goes before us, He not only protects us as we go forward, but if the enemy is sneaking up behind, He protects us from behind too. And God has promised to protect us from all sides. So He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar, they kept His testimonies and the ordinance that He gave them. Thou answerest them, O Lord our God, Thou wast a God that forgavest them, though Thou tookest vengeance of their inventions. God didn't like what they did, but he forgave them. Remember when old Aaron was left to, to take care of the children of Israel while Moses was up in the mountain? And uh, he was receiving the law and the, the Ten Commandments. And he came down, Moses came down, and Aaron had made an invention. The people had caused him to make this invention, this golden calf to worship. Now look what it says here. Thou wast the God that forgavest them, though thou tookest vengeance of their inventions. He judged their inventions. He judged their idolatry. And not only in that case, but in other cases when they would uh, create idols and begin to worship idols. But God is a God that will judge the wrong things in our life. And God is a God that will forgive us when we do wrong and repent of our sins. It says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill. Look, for the Lord our God is holy. We should exalt and worship Him because He is holy. The Bible says, Let us exalt His name together. Do we worship and exalt God because He's a holy God? I wonder how many times we think of God's holiness. Usually we think of God in various other ways. But God is a holy God. And the holy God, a God that is absolutely pure and, and holy, we should worship Him because He is holy. And you and I are sinful, and therefore we have to repent of our sins if we come into His holy presence. Remember old Isaiah? It says, in the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, and His train filled His temple. And He saw the seraphims, round about the throne, crying out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The Bible says these seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And after Isaiah saw this vision, it says, The whole earth is filled with thy glory. And the post of the tabernacle, uh, the door moved at the voice of him that uh, cried, and what happened? Isaiah saw this holy vision, vision of a holy God. 
And then what did Isaiah say? He said, Woe is me, for I am undone. He realized that God was holy. And Isaiah, a prophet of God, a man of God, that had, it, had had his eyes upon man previously, now began to see God, and the first effect that it had upon him, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. He didn't start blaming everyone else. He didn't say, You know, God, you gave me a wicked people. He says, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. We're all in the same category. And he says, For mine was there, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Do we worship God because He's a holy God? Do we stand in awe? His holiness and greatness should produce a holy awe in us.